Our scripture reading for today is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. I will be reading the NIV version. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Graceway. I hope everyone's enjoying their summer. Um, it's, I guess it's been about a year since I uh, stepped down as being the youth pastor and uh, had the privilege now to go to full-time sem- seminary. And so I just want to first thank the church uh, for your support and allowing me and my family to be able to do that. Um, and just thankful for Charles especially as has taken over for the youth group. He's definitely the greatest guy, I think, for that job. So very thankful for him. I guess during this time, I guess there's been a lot of things I've been like thinking and learning. I think God's been challenging me to think about things that I normally don't think about. Um, things like, like, what do I think of Calvinism? What do I think about Arminianism? What do I think of Pentecostalism, right? All these isms, and what do I think about it? Uh, initially, I was thinking I want to share some of these great things I learned. I was learning, uh, but God kind of steered me in a different direction. And the question that, that he's been asking me, and the question I want us, for us to think about is, what do you want? I think as we go through life, we're going to stop every once in a while and we're going to ask ourselves, what do I want right now? What, what do I want? Right? And I guess for me, as I'm kind of going through this transition, I was really thinking, like, what do I really want? What is it that I want? Um, so I want us to just take a little moment to think about it for yourself. What do you want? And I'm not just asking, like, what do you want for lunch today? Or, like, what do you want to do to enjoy the evening or something like that? But... What do you deep down really want? And so, if, again, if God came to you and asked, Andrew, what do you want? What would you say, right? Um, so uh, let's pray and let's ask God to help us answer this question. God, teach us how to pray. May we hear your voice today. Speak to us loud and clear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus actually asked this question to a blind man, Bartimaeus, and he also asked the exact same question to James and John. So I believe this is the question he is asking us today. So again, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark 10, verse 46. All right, let's go to the next slide. We can do the next slide after that. All right, so we're just going to be going through the passage and just understanding what's going on. So verse 46, then they, which is Jesus and the disciples, came to Jericho, It's about a day's walk away from Jerusalem, 18 miles, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. So just to give you context in the story of Jesus, um, 
the following verse or the following section is basically the triumphal entry. So this is right before he's about to get crucified um, and he's going to rise during the Passion Week. And so this is just right before he's entering. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And so we get his name, and usually we don't get names of people that Jesus heals. So usually this would suggest that probably he, becomes, he becomes a member of the church later on. Let's go to the next slide, verse 47. And when we heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. From this verse, we kind of learn two things about where two people or two groups of people stand about Jesus. The first that we see is the crowd. When they hear it's Jesus, how do they see him? And the way they describe him is Jesus of Nazareth. And so when we think of Nazareth, it's just where he's from. He don't, they don't call him a prophet. They don't call him a teacher. He's the dude, the guy uh, that's from Nazareth, right? Uh, but in contrast, we see how Bartimaeus looks at him. He sees him as Jesus, son of David. So what does the son of David mean? Well, in 2 Samuel, uh, next slide, 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, it's a prophecy about the seed of David. I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So again, there's this seed, his one of his future descendants will be basically the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great Messiah. So when we hear the title Son of David, it's a messianic title. And so when they refer to Jesus in this way, they believe him to be the long-awaited deliverer, the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. So I believe in this context, I don't know if Bartimaeus understood all the nuance like we would in the, our, for us who have in the new, post-New Testament, but the one thing he would say is that he believes that God, he will bring mercy. And so he calls out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I just want to encourage us that titles are important because um, t- titles reflect our belief. They reflect, they declare something about the person we're talking about. So I'll give you a basketball analogy. Uh, one of my favorite players, let's go to the next slide, um, is Steph Curry. Um, and so... Just pretend for the sake of analogy, Steph Curry comes to our church and is visiting. And again, for the sake of analogy, we have a blind member of the church, right? And so the blind person will ask, yo, what's the commotion? Why is everyone so excited? You know? And then he's like, who is that? Uh, Maybe majority of us might say, that's Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors, right? Just that's who he is and that's his location. He's part of that team. But what if this blind person, instead of saying, Steph Curry from Golden State Warriors, he said, Steph Curry, the greatest of all time. You're the GOAT, right? Like, when you start making that declaration, people are like, whoa, whoa, what do you say, right? I think a lot of people here would probably disagree strongly, right? They'll be, Michael Jordan is by far the greatest, right? Or other in our modern day might be LeBron James, or if you're older, Bill Russell, right? Well, like, we have different people that will say, that's the greatest, and that's kind of like the commotions. Like when you make the statement, you're saying something about him and it shows what you believe. Right? And so maybe some of us will say, you're ridiculous. And then because he's a blind man, some, I'm sure none of us will say it, but we might be thinking in our mind, you've actually never seen him play. How can you say he's the greatest player of all time? Right? So for, G, for, the, for Bartimaeus to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy, he's making this crazy statement. Right? 
So let's go on to the next slide, verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. We see now the response uh, to Bartimaeus. We see first the crowd's response, and they first just rebuke him, criticize him, reprimand him, scold him, chastise him. Why did they do that? Well, first of all, it's, again, a crazy statement that he might be making for some. He's, is he really the goat? I mean, you had Elijah, you had Moses, you had all these other prophets. He's just this dude from Nazareth. Why are you giving him this messianic title? The other thing is, in that context, back in the day, they definitely had um, a negative belief towards people who are disabled. In the next slide, John 9, 1 through 2, we see their belief. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so again, they believed that having a disability was a form of God's punishment or disciplining a sinner. And so for the crowd, the blind, the disabled, or the bottom of the social ladder, they judged and condemned the disabled. But for Bartimaeus, that does not stop him. He just continues to shout all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Um, let's go to the next slide. So now we see Jesus' response. So one is rejecting them, telling him to be quiet, and just like stop piping, right? And, and then we see Jesus on the other side with a very different response. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. He treats him with respect and dignity. He doesn't reject him but invites him to himself. I think this is great news for us because no matter where you are, no matter how well you're doing with God or how horribly you're doing with God, he invites us to himself. And the other thing that's, I think, just to, for us to note is Jesus is about to die, right, very shortly. And he could have easily been like, you know, when you think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he could have easily said, I'm busy right now. I got a lot on my mind. I'm thinking about, I'm going to die this week. And uh, my disciples right now are not listening. They don't get that I'm going to die and trying to tell them what's going on. And he says, all right, this is just kind of a nuisance right now. I don't want to stop. But Jesus does not act that way. In Mark 10.33, right before, again, it just, I'm just going to read the, the main part again. He's, this is his third um, prediction, I guess, he's making about his death and resurrection uh, to his disciples. And just again, says, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teacher of the law. They will condemn him to death. And then at the end, three days later, he will rise. I guess this kind of really shows, in a few verses later, his real heart. In Mark 10, 45, for even, let's go to the next slide, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So we see that Jesus is not just consumed by himself, but he's really thinking of the people God has sent him to love, which is all of us. So it says, so they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. So I'm sure the crowd is super surprised in the message translation, instead of saying cheer up, it says, it's your lucky day, right? So it's just kind of that overwhelming surprise, like what, why is Jesus stopping in the midst of all these people, right? And again, I'm sure some of the crowds were thinking, Jesus has so many other people he can talk to. Why would Jesus stop for you? There's so much need in the world. You know, why would he stop for you? But again, it's your lucky day. Let's go to the next slide. Um, oh, sorry, let's go back to one more. 
Um, so in verse 50, we see, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Um, so we see his response. He's super excited. And for him to throw away his cloak on the side, um, that was his main, like, um, clothes that he would wear. And that was the thing that would keep him warm. In the Old Testament, um, if you were to borrow money, they would use your cloak as your, like, this is your, your big deposit that you're having. And in the scriptures, it says, at the end of the day, you could return the cloak because if they don't have their cloak, they may die. So the cloak was something very important. Um, so for him to throw away this aside, it's all his security, all the things that he can put his trust in. He's like saying, I'm throwing it aside because I believe Jesus is going to heal me. So he throws it aside, he stands up, and he, fall, he goes to Jesus. So in verse 51, the main question for us that we can ask ourselves is, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I guess it's kind of a surprising question because for all of us, we would say, obviously, Jesus knows, right? Obviously, he wants to get healed. But he still asks the question. Why does he ask that question? And I think one of the reasons he asks this question is for us to declare out loud, what is it that we really need? Part of it is for us to come to terms, this is actually what I need, right? And for us to also declare our faith, God, I believe you could help me in this issue. God, I believe you can help me with what I need. So again, I ask us, what do you want? What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you need help in in your life? And for, us, for what I want us to do is to consider, are there any insights from this passage to help us answer this question? Are there insights? And so what I would like to share is there are three um, points for us to consider and how to answer this to its fullness. So the first one I want us to consider is share honestly with God. Share honestly with God. In verse 51b, um, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Again, very straightforward. I want to see. And so for us, it sounds simple. And for me, I thought it was a super simple thing. But as I think about my own life, I realize I'm not very good at telling God honestly what I want. And part of the reason is, I don't know if you kind of grew up like this, but I felt like I had to have my motives figured out. Like I had to straighten it up. So then sometimes I would go to prayer meeting and then I would pray and go, man, I sound so selfish. I just keep praying about me. You know, like, didn't I not mature? Why do I just talk about me? And so I might resolve to myself, next time, I'm not going to pray until I get my motives all figured out. I don't know if you've ever felt that struggle in yourself. And you just, so you, instead of being honest with God, you're just like trying to say the right things, but that's not what you're really feeling, but you're trying to say the right things. And what ends up happening, it kind of paralyzes my faith. It paralyzes my prayer life. I guess the truth of the matter is that when we come to God, we come with a mixtures of emotions, mixtures of motives. Sometimes, some of them are good, some of them are bad, but we have both of them. You know, it could be loving, sometimes it's hateful, it could be gracious or judgmental, but we have all these things running inside of us. Until we get to heaven, we're going to be struggling with these mixtures of emotions. And so we don't have to come to God perfect, we don't have to come to God pure or filled with faith. Again, those are good things, and we desire those things, but that's not the requirement to come to God. And that's what grace is for, right? It's not what grace means. Not only are we saved by grace, we live by grace as well, and therefore we pray by grace, right? So um, I was reading this book um, in the next slide uh, 
by Richard Foster, Prayer, Finding, Finding Heart's True Home. And he says it this way. So we are brought to the most basic, the most primary form of prayer, simple prayer. Let me describe it for you. In simple prayer, we bring ourselves before God just as we are, warts and all. Like children before a loving father, we open our hearts and make our requests. We do not try to sort things out, the good from the bad. We simply and unpretentiously share our concerns and make our petitions. We tell God, for example, how frustrated we are with the coworker at the office or the neighbor down the street. We ask for food, favorable weather, and good health. And what I want to encourage, and I guess this is what I've been learning through my time in seminary, it's not all these cool theological things. And I'm not sure if I thought it was super cool prior to going to seminary, but it's been exciting to learn a little bit. But it's more about the basic things, right? Like, how's your relationship with God? Right? And this is the starting point of prayer. This is not the end goal of prayer, but this is the starting point. And I think for me, it's so easy to overlook the starting point. And I think God was trying to restore me back to say, what is the heart of prayer? Just come to me as you are. In the next slide, in a real sense, we are the focus of simple prayer. Our needs, our wants, our concerns dominate our prayer experience. Our prayers are shot through with a plenty of pride, conceit, vanity, pretentiousness, haughtiness, in general, all-around egocentricity. No doubt, there are also magnanimity, generosity, unselfishness, and universal goodwill. Again, we have to start where you are. Wherever you are, you come to God as we are. And so I just want to encourage us that we're complicated beings, so instead of us figuring it out, just come to God as we are. It says, there is no pretense in simple prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, or more saintly than we actually are. We do not try to conceal our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And so I just, again, the point is, be honest. Be honest. You don't have to pretend. Just be who you are. What these people fail to see, next slide. Uh, what these people fail to see, however, is that simple prayer is necessary, even essential, to the spiritual life. The only way we move beyond self-centered prayer, if indeed we ever do, is by going through it, not by making a detour around it. And so I found this to be actually super refreshing for me um, because I want to graduate. I want to graduate to higher levels of praying, but we have to start with the most basic simple prayer. And I, again, I found that to be refreshing for myself. Um, so this leads to um, uh, a question that, uh, or a song that I'm reminded about. I don't know if there's a song that comes to mind from a British band. Let's go to the next slide. Um, it's a song called Wannabe. Um, so I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Okay, so a lot of us have heard the song, and it has some good theology. It, the only theology would be asking the question, what do you want, right? <laughs> um, and I guess for me, as I kind of think about this question, um, I'm reminded of my guest child, or when I was younger, and I was reminded of when I was kind of really asked this question. Um, you kind of hear it around maybe your birthday or Christmas and things like that, but it's usually pretty more lighthearted and you're not super thinking. But the times I was challenged most hard with this question, um, I don't know if any of you guys can relate, is in dating relationships. Um, I was remembering when I was in college and I was still maturing as an individual, um, my, it was, happened twice at the end of both relationships. It's like, Danny, what do you want? Right? And I, the first time I was, 
I was very insecure about myself, and I really didn't know what I want. And my only answer I could come up with is, I want you to be happy. And then the person's even more angry. Just tell me what you want. I'm like, I just want you to be happy. And, yet, and so I felt like a chameleon almost, right? I wasn't valuing myself or what I wanted. I just wanted you to be happy. I didn't, and I feel like that's kind of like the, the challenge of when you don't answer the question what you want, it shows you're not being honest and people get frustrated after a certain point. Like, I just want to know what you want, right? The second time it happened, it was at the end of the relationship, but I think I realized that my heart was no longer in the relationship, but I didn't have the courage to actually answer the question. So I just slumped my shoulder and goes, I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and of course, that made the person even more angry. Um, and so I'm just saying, when you're asked, what do you want? It's actually just, it's an invitation to like, I want a relationship with you. Like, I just want to know, right? It's not this, maybe in those significant other relationships, it was a little bit anger-filled. But in general, when you're asked this question, it's generally an invitation to say, I want to know you. I want you to like open up. Will you share your life with me? And so Jesus is deeply interested in our deepest desires. In expressing our deepest desires, we begin to interact with God in a new way. If you don't express your desires, you will never understand his desires. Prayer is an expression of our will and desire. When we don't bring our desires or any element of our will in it, probably means we have a disbelief in God that he doesn't care about me or fearfulness that God would be offended if we say the wrong things. Prayer is meant to be an expression of freedom. It's supposed to be an expression of joy. And if we don't pray first our will in this context, there will be a skimming of things rather than penetrating to the deep things, the real things, the necessary things. Jesus waits for us to get to a place of honesty until we can say what we really want. We can't really grow in the truth of God's love and his reign in our lives. So I want to encourage us to first share honestly with God our desires and wants. Let's go to the next slide. The second thing that I want to encourage us is as we share honestly, is then to dialogue with God, to have a, to have a conversation. So to go here, we're going to go to the, um, to the other story of James and John in Mark 10, 35 to 36. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to, to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So he's just saying, kind of make this blanket statement, Jesus, will you do whatever we ask you? Again, it sounds like little children knowing that they're going to ask something that their parents are going to say, clearly say no, but just say, hey, will you do whatever we ask you? Um, and so Jesus responds, surprisingly, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting? It's the exact same question that Bartimaeus in the story immediately after he asks, what do you want me to do for you? Again, I am surprised because I would think Jesus said, get the heck out of here. No way. You know, like you just say you're asking something super selfish. Just don't even ask. Don't even bother. But he asked, what do you want me to do for you? And then in John, or Mark 10, 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And I guess what I want to suggest, in this moment, you would think, again, Jesus would shut them down, tell them that you're making a big mistake, don't even bother, but he dialogues with them. He actually has a conversation with them. And then verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So when I hear this, again, I would generally categorize this question as, that's selfish. 
right? I don't know how most of you guys would feel, but most of us would feel, you might not have the purest motives. I don't know if you should ask this question. But Jesus does not reject their question. He says, yeah, what do you want? Is that what you want? And then he clarifies. And so, again, I'm already surprised or shocked. Why isn't Jesus shutting them down? But what he does instead, instead of denying them, he helps them to understand. He clarifies the process. He says, in order to sit on my right or left hand, you have to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. So what does that mean? So to drink someone's cup means to share in their fate, whether it be judgment, doom, maybe victory, but to share in their fate. Baptism in the Greek culture is a metaphor for being overwhelmed or immersed in something. So when you get dunked in, you're completely immersed in something. We could think about the, the modern cliche, baptized by fire, used when we mean overwhelmed by challenges from the beginning. So again, the cup and the baptism are references to the Lord's suffering. What, what he's trying to tell them is that if you want reward, if you want glory, if you want honor, it's connected to how much are you willing to suffer. And so Jesus, out of love for them, is clarifying, it's great that you want these desires, but you have this nice end, but you have to understand there's a means, and this means is suffering. Do you really want that? And so... Mark 10, 39, he says, John and James, um, I think, naively respond, we can. Um, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been assigned. So again, Jesus does not say no to the request, but dialogues with them. And basically says, there are two things. There's a severe cost of suffering. And second, it's not for me to decide, but God the Father. Uh, going back to the book, Richard Foster, um, he says it this way. In the most natural and simple way possible, we learn, we learn to pray our experiences by taking up the ordinary events of everyday life and giving them to God. Perhaps we have a crushing failure that gives us more than one sleepless night. Well, we pace the floor with God, telling him of our hurt and our pain, our disappointment. Why me? We cry out. Why me? For frustrations and tears and angers are also the language of simple prayer. We invite God to walk with us as we grieve the loss of our dream. We speak frankly and honestly with God about what is happening and ask him to help us see the hurt behind the emotion. And so when we dialogue with God, we basically ask God to help process my desires. God, I want this. And as God is talking to us, he's like, he may ask, why do you want that? You know, and helps us to understand like, oh, if you want to go from point A to point B, there's some things that are going to happen. Is that what you really want? Right? And so oftentimes when we're dialoguing with God, we're asking God, is there something deeper? Is there something I'm overlooking? Is there something that I'm missing? Or maybe I'm hiding from something. Maybe I'm very aware, but I don't want to deal with it. Again, James and John wanted the result, but I'm not sure if they understood the process. I think for a lot of us, like a lot of us would say, for example, I want to be like the healthiest person or the strongest person. But then the question is, do you want to change your diet, right? Do you, do you want to go work out a certain amount of times a week? And some of us would be like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I don't want it anymore, right? Like we like the end goal, but we don't like the process, right? Maybe it's like, I want a, a great relationship with this person. Right? Like we always fight or whatever. And it could be spouse, a sibling, uh, it could be a child, a friend, wherever. 
Um, and so we ask, God, I want a better relationship. But as we process with God, God might say, well, have you made time for that person? You're so busy with so many other things of your life, you never made time. So how can you have a good relationship if you don't have time for this person? And so then you're like, oh, but God, I'm pretty busy. I got, I'm worried about finances. I'm worried about my school. I'm, you know, I have so much concerns. And then God may say, hey, let's talk about your desire for security. Let's talk about why you want to do so well in school, right? And you're like, oh, God, I don't really, really want to talk about that. I don't have time right now. Okay, you know, we push it to the side. Or maybe God might say, maybe you have made time. And could say, yeah, that's, you know, you made time, but instead of fixing the other person and you're praying for the other person to get better, you kind of have an anger problem. You're not a very patient person. You're not very loving. And you're like, oh, God, okay, I don't want to talk about this anymore, right? We're like, we don't want to have this dialogue with God because as he talks about it, he wants to get to the real issue for us. In the next slide here, God is perfectly capable of handling our anger and frustration and disappointment. C.S. Lewis counsels us to lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Again, just be honest. Engage with God with your disappointment, the anguish, the struggle, the pain, the discrepancy in what we see in our lives from what we believe it should be like. We should not necessarily come to a submissive tone of resignation, but we should have this bold confidence, Lord, your will be done. We should declare it. Surely, God, you wouldn't desire this. Surely, God, you would want this to happen, right? Just saying, God, I believe in your promises. I'm just wrestling. I'm struggling. I don't understand. In the next slide. And so I urge you, carry on an ongoing conversation with God about the daily stuff of life. For now, we do not, do not worry about proper praying. Just talk to God. Share your hurts. Share your sorrows. Share your joys freely and openly. God listens in compassion and love just like we do when our children come to us. He delights in our presence. When we do this, we will discover something of inestimable value. We will discover that by praying, we learn to pray. And so what is the heart of a conversation? The heart of a conversation is an exchange, right? You talk to someone and they share something back to you, right? And so again, when we share what we want, we expose our true selves. When we pray honestly, we expose our true selves to God. And as I already mentioned, we, our problem is that we tend to be afraid of that conversation. We're afraid to talk to God about those things. So we don't even give him a chance. We'd rather do it by ourselves. So as I was thinking for myself, what do I want? And I think if I were to give you the nice spiritual answer, it would be, I want to be faithful to God's calling in my life. Right? And so you could mask all these different desires. I want to be used by the glory of God, for the glory of God. But then God is like, why do you want that? You know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think as I started to think about it more deeply and God was having a conversation with me, I realized that I just want to be successful. I want to be successful at whatever I do, right? And so then the question is asked them, why do you want to be successful, right? Again, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But as I wrestled with God and I had to be honest with God, I realized that I think growing up, I had bought this lie that for me to be liked, I had to be more than myself, right? To be worthy of people's respect, to be, uh, I had to basically have something of value or be successful. And I just remember when I was young, I, I felt very small in my own eyes. And so if I dressed be better or I did well in sports or was helpful to someone, I would receive praise. And therefore I concluded, if I do more of those things, I will be liked by more people. 
And so I believe the more successful I became, the more that I would be loved. And I don't know if you guys struggle with this at all. Um, I guess I confess that to you guys, but ultimately to God. But as I started to dialogue this with God, I just sensed God just simply saying, I love you. I love you. You don't, I mean, that other stuff is nice, but you don't need that. I just love you. And that was, I felt like that was, I was just having this honest, like real raw moment with God. And I believe that's the conversation he wants to have every day with us, is to have that raw moment saying, I know you're struggling, but I understand. I get you. And I love you. The third point I want to encourage us is I would like to encourage us to humbly receive from God. Humbly receive. So for John and James, after their dialogue with God, they meet with the other ten disciples. And in the next slide, um, they're very, uh, basically they're angry with him. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, because they kind of beat him to the punch and they wanted to ask Jesus the same thing. Uh, but when they come together, again, they desire greatness, power, and authority. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be your must be. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, of all. So again, I'm surprised that he doesn't just shoot them down, reject them, saying you're asking a dumb request. But what he does is he channels their desires and says, you're kind of going this way. Let's channel it and let's go this way. Right? Your desire for greatness is actually a good thing. Except you want greatness in this way that's not so good. But let's do greatness this way. And it's a beautiful thing. And he concludes with Mark 10 and 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I think for some of us, maybe we come to God today with lots of selfish motives. We come with lots of God of what we would deem wrong motives. But God does not reject you. God invites you. Come, let's talk about it. And God, God may say, I'll give you the desire you want. Or maybe God says, let me give you a better desire. This is good, but there's something even better. Let's go this way. Right? And maybe some of us are stuck because we keep going this way, but God says, I have something better. Will you listen? Will you trust me? Going back to Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 52, he says, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And in this context, he grants his request and validates his faith for seeking Jesus actively for that healing. When I think about it, I'm not even sure if this is less selfish because, again, I don't know, it's hard to define selfish, right? Because he benefits from being healed. People won't ridicule him as much. But and that's what, I guess the point that I want to make is I don't think your motivations matter so much in the context of am I pure, am I holy, do I have it all figured out? Just come to God as you are. God may say yes, or God may say I have something better. And so Bartimaeus responds. He immediately, he received the sight and followed Jesus along the road. In, um, in Luke's account, it goes farther than just he followed him along the road. He says, immediately he received his sight, followed him, praising God. So his response was worship, right? And I guess in that sense, we kind of see his heart. Like he wanted to see, but his heart immediately after is like, I, I follow you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship you. He didn't idolize this gift, but it led to a greater relationship with Jesus. Some speculate that as a result, because he's about to go into the triumphal entry, he probably follows him into the city. And he might potentially be one of the 120. When Pentecost comes, he might be one of the 120. 
And so I believe God's gifts are meant not to lead us away from God, but that God's gifts are meant to lead us closer to him. And so again, some of us might be like Barnabas, and God will grant us the request that we ask. And I hope that as a result, it will lead to more, seeing more Jesus, following Jesus more, and worshiping him more. So um, the last quotes I want to share from Richard Foster here is, simple prayer is often ignored in many of the books written about prayer. I've often wondered why this is so. Perhaps it is because devout writers fear the self-centered aspects of simple prayer. To focus so much on the self can easily lead to selfishness and narcissism. And I, I don't know if you found that to be true, but the various prayer books I've read, they never talk, talk about simple prayer because of this fear. Next slide. It is a legitimate concern. The dangers are all too real. But as Joseph Smith notes, there are dangers on the right road. We must move with cost, some caution, but not turn back. Nor shall we turn back, seeking divine protection. We venture forward with honesty and openness. Again, it's a valid concern, but don't let some of these concerns hold us back from the good thing that is before us. And the last quote here. In the beginning, we are indeed the subjects and the center of our prayers. But in God's time and in God's way, a Copernicum revolution takes place in our hearts. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, there's a shift in our center of gravity. We pass from thinking of God as part of our life to the realization that we are part of his life. Wondrously and mysteriously, God moves from the peripheral periphery of our prayer experience to the center. And so we said the start of prayer is we start with ourselves, but the end that our, is that we would be centered on Jesus, to be centered on God. I guess for me, um, as I was wrestling through what I want, um, one of the things that um, in my seminary, in my second year, I am supposed to do an internship. And so one of the things that part of, I guess, my um, internship is I have to go to a church that's not my home church. So I can't do it here at Graceway. They want me to experience something different. So I was kind of thinking, if I'm looking for this new church for, for one year, what would it be like? So I could do what I'm familiar with, what I'm comfortable with, uh, but I was challenged by, like, this topic, prayer. Like, I want to grow in prayer. Like, I think from my church experience, I've learned a lot about the word, word, and more word. You know, it's a lot about the word, and it's a great and wonderful thing. But I'm kind of weak in, like, just the simple things, like prayer. And so I was thinking, like, how can I grow in this? So I want to find a church that prays a lot. And I was curious to learn specifically about something I've never touched before, really, is deliverance ministry. Um, I think some of us might be afraid of those terms, but it's when we pray for like healing, you know, even this idea of are there spiritual demonic forces? How do you deal with that? I just want to, I'm curious. I want to learn. And, and so anyways, I was just thinking, but it's definitely outside my wheelhouse. It's not, I think if anything, people have always been against, like don't even go there. Um, but I believe God can do great things and continues to do great things. So just, um, so that was like the uh, beginning of this week. And so in the middle week, I played a, uh, one of the sports I enjoy called disc golf. Um, so I went to a park and I was throwing, you know, frisbees at these baskets. Um, I lost one of my discs. So then I was like rummaging around. I found this disc and then I kind of, I was ahead of someone and the person passed me. And then this person in front of me like dropped their water bottle. So I ran up, say, hey, do you want your water bottle? Is this yours? And say, oh yeah, thanks. And then the person says, hey, we're like, we're kind of playing at the same pace. You want to play together? I'm like, okay, sure. Um, as we started sharing, he's like, you know, he's retired age, so he's in, probably in his 70s. And he goes, so I just asked, what do you do? Or what did you do? He's like, oh, I'm a retired pastor. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. 
Uh, it's like, oh, I'm at, you know, I'm currently going to seminary. I'm, I'm going in that direction. And then I just shared, you know, right now I'm looking for an internship related to deliverance ministry. And he goes, oh, what? That's what I did my, during my ministry. I did deliverance ministry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I guess for me, that was like an affirmation because, you know, as I said, I felt like I had to be successful to gain, like, people to like me. But just out of the blue, you know, just playing this random sport, God says, hey, I'll let, you can meet someone who's, who went in that direction and has gone through what you've gone through. And I was like, whoa, God. And I just felt like that was God's ways of loving me and affirming me. Like, I'm going to lead you to paths you're not familiar with, but I will lead you. I will guide you. And so... I believe God will provide people, ministries, the training that I need. And yes, hard work is very necessary. Uh, but in the next slide, I'm just reminded of James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And I believe that's our Heavenly Father. He always gives us good and perfect gifts. So instead of being afraid, instead of being afraid of coming to God with requests, we could come with great anticipation and joy because he'll always give us what is good. So again, I just want to ask us, how, when we consider what we want, think about these three things. First, share honestly with God. Instead of focusing on your motives that leads us to pretending with God or hiding from God or paralyzes our prayer, bring those motives, those wide range of emotions, and bring them to God. Two, dialogue with God. Ask God to process, ask him to make sense of what you're feeling, the hurts, the frustrations, and your desires. And lastly, humbly receive. Again, whether you get the answer that you wanted or God wants to give you a better answer, receive from him humbly. So I ask again, what do you want Jesus to do for you today? Let's pray. Dear God, um, I thank you for this journey of, in some sense, I feel like coming back to the basics but I guess I realize that you don't really graduate from the basics. You just get deeper in those things. God, I just sense that for all of us, you just want a relationship with us. You just want us to talk to you, to, to be there for us, and for us to know how good and a loving God that you are. Sometimes we can feel alone and just feel like so lost in where we are. But God, you are always, you hear us as we are, and maybe we're like Bartimaeus, we're shouting, saying, God, I need help. And God, you stop for us, and, and you call us to yourself. And so God, I just pray for some people here today that maybe have been struggling for a long time, but we've been kind of stuck, we didn't know what to do. I pray that we will be reminded that you just want us to talk to you, to bring our hearts, and that God, you want to talk back to us, and God, you want to lead us to the life that you have for us. And maybe some of us have been hindered because we've kind of been in the wrong place for a long time. And we're like, God, I'm not going to come until I clean myself up. But God, even for us who are in those positions, you still invite us just as we are. And so God, we thank you that you are a gracious God, a kind God, a loving God, a merciful God. And so God, we just thank you. And I pray that we will have more freedom. We would have more joy in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.